Welcome back to Recorded Conversations. I'm your host, Danielle Kingstrom, and you're now joining the podcast that is dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic and connected conversations. I hope you enjoy today's show. Today's episode, I decided to try and intertwine a little bit of an agricultural philosophy, thanks to my guest and my husband, Corey, who joins today's episode. And I tried to intertwine his farming philosophies with some of the talking points that I wanted to make sure that we talked about today. And so we take agriculture to monoculture to monogamy. And from monogamy, we talk about diversity and experience. And more to the point in why it is okay when married people have relationships with people that they may or could potentially be sexually attracted to, but aren't necessarily sexually attracted to them, but maintain relationships with them. And so we talk about our exterior relationships with people of the opposite sex, since we are speaking from a hetero cisgendered perspective. Further down the road, we discuss a little bit about another social media argument that I engaged in, in which it was hard to accept that I was holding intention, supporting sex work, while also viewing sex as sacred. So we break down that discussion a little bit. We also talk about liberals and their robotic sex, blindfolded thrills, how we take sex too seriously only when it's been violated, and whether or not masturbation is a sin. So, a little caveat for the listeners out there. This might be an age-appropriate podcast. If you have children listening nearby, then now would be a good time for you to push pause, remove the children from the room, then come back and push play. I hope what you can take from today's episode is that so long as we're willing to keep an open mind, so long as we're willing to remain curious and open to discovery, So long as we're always willing to communicate, we'll always be creating space so that we can connect. And today, I'm all about connecting to the erotic. So, my love, what were you researching today? I was looking up dual cropping and whatnot when it comes to farming. What was that machine video you were watching? While you were holding our grandson earlier. So they were combining wheat while the soybeans were just starting to grow. And so they were able to just harvest the wheat but leave the soybeans alone to keep them growing. So after the wheat came off, the soybeans would be able to finish growing. And then they came back and combined those like a month or two later. And so they do that because then you're getting like more bang for your dirt. Essentially, yeah, you're uh, you're able to get two crops off the same land in one year. And aren't they going to drain all of the nutrients from the soil? Are they like partner crops where they like one uses one nutrient, one uses the other, and they don't take too much of the nutrients out of the soil? The idea is actually that they'll help each other out. That see, soybeans are a legume. 
so they'll actually provide some nitrogen for the wheat and so they they'll actually help each other out they make different nutrients available that are already there i mean you look in nature and things like that you never see just one crop growing you never see just one species growing there's always you know tens if not hundreds of species growing in one area and i think the key in agriculture is to try to incorporate that same principle into agriculture that we instead of the monoculture that we currently have so communal crop planting essentially yeah yeah we kind of did that with our seed broadcasting that we did yeah we did we uh, i saw a video online i'd been researching a gentleman and uh told me about just when you plant your garden just throw all your different seeds out there and just let them all grow together and so as a test run I bought a seed mix of all these different crops. Cover mixed, crops. Not cover crops. They're vegetable. A lot of some veg- are cover crops. Yeah, some are cover crops. Um, anyway, so it was already pre-mixed together, and we just threw it out there. And surprisingly, I've gone and walked out in there a few times, and it's everything's growing yeah some of the vegetables are kind of small but everything grew together and looked like it worked really well yeah it's like i noticed there's a lot of cucumbers out in one part of the garden yep i haven't picked any of those cucumbers so i'm sure they're big and yellow and ready to burst but i noticed that they climbed up the sunflowers yep to like hold themselves up and i also noticed that where we put the tomatoes and the peppers the cucumbers reached over to grab onto the tomatoes like they had fencing but it's like they wanted to be by the tomatoes and what they did is they like created a shade over my tomatoes but then used the stalks of the tomato plants to crawl to crawl up and i'm like that doesn't even make sense it like that plant reached further than it needed to because it had all of the like staking it needed but it started making me think you know whenever we've tried to train some of our like viney plants, they never freaking crawl on what you want them to because they're always looking for something like them, something like living maybe. Yep. And it's like, they're like, nah, this tomato plant right over here, if I just grow a few more inches is going to be a more stable stake for me. It, it's the silly thing. They did that on the other side of the fence too. They climbed up all my flowers and my hostas and everything. And I'm like, I provided it with this natural fence and it still was like, nah, I'm going to go over here. I thought that was kind of funny just noticing that. Because we have that, like, one gardening book where we, it's like carrots love tomatoes, which is why I planted our carrots in between our tomatoes this year. I have yet to see if any are actually growing. But what I thought was interesting and why I wanted you to bring this topic up, why I wanted you to talk about what you were doing is because I was watching you all day getting ready for this. And I was like, how can we introduce something we don't normally talk about. Well, I don't normally talk about. You talk about this shit all the time. But how can I throw that in there and partner it with some of the other topics I wanted to talk about? And one of the things I wanted to talk about was this idea that we can have intimate, revealing, vulnerable relationships with people that are not our partners or our spouses without it like breaking any moral code because we were created to be in communion with people. I think that, like, I believe that. And so I started thinking, well, how can we introduce this communion idea, but show it reflected in nature first? Because that's something that Jesus always did whenever he told a parable. 
he used nature all the time to like reflect a concept. And so anyway, that was my genius behind it today, my love. Just for the record, I didn't get a heads up on that. No, you didn't. That was part of the spontaneity of it all. So at least like we could develop an organic conversation out of it. Because I think it's not, I, you know, other guests too, I try not to give them too much information. Like I'll say, well, I really liked when you said this in one of your videos, or I really liked when you wrote about this or whatever it is, or with like when I had Cordell on, it's like, well, we always have these kinds of conversations anyway. And so we were like, well, we should record this, but we don't talk about what we're going to talk about before we talk about it. And so that way you get more of an organic flow in a building and, and I like to watch you sit there and think too, (laughs) like your thinking face is kind of funny. Because you could just see, like, there's something turning in there. And then he's like, agriculturally, I can relate it like this. Because that's what you do. But Well, since we're on the topic, I'll, I'll expand a little bit more on it. On so, agriculture? Well, nature. Since you have your moment. Nature, more nature. or less. So, in nature, everything works together to create the ecosystem. You go back to... In diversity. In diversity. Yeah. You, you go back to... Uh, we'll use America in, you know, the times when buffalo were roaming, roaming the plains. You know, you had buffalo come in to an area and graze down all the prairie. And once that prairie was all grazed down, they would move on. And they may not come back to that area again for another year. But after the buffalo leave, then you had all the birds come through and they would basically sanitize where the buffalo had been they would go through the buffalo pies and get all the parasites out of there they would spread all that out um and and that they helped like little mini pitchforks they were moving the manure around with their beaks and their feet exactly you know and, and then once the birds got through there then the prairie would just be left alone so that the vegetation could regrow and you would have insects and all the diversity breaking down the poop pies and and just the soil the soil was just abundant with life and worms and bugs and 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 they all worked together to create this entire ecosystem and w- with modern agriculture we've kind of gone away from that and then on the opposite end of the spectrum with the you know the national parks and stuff you don't have that type of disturbance they've you don't have the livestock or the animals going through and and grazing it down to help maintain a healthy environment yeah and so i think there's a a very fine balance that needs to be kept in nature in order for that for it all to work which i think ties back into what i love that i think we're on the same page here and we haven't even talked about it that's how good we are because i wanted to point out was it's interesting that we used to have this diverse ecoculture and now we've come down to the monoculture and to kind of transition into where i wanted to jump which was relationships that word monogamous only one only one other what we think about is we can only have one type of a relationship with one person and it has to have this border and control and we keep out all of the diversity that can actually influence and make our relationships better and so that kind of keys into one of the one of the most common questions that i am asked one of the most common topics that i feel like a lot of people are discussing in private is this idea that can we 
can can we like we'll use us in a, as an example it's commonly asked how do you have friends danielle that are men and that your husband is okay with it and how do you sit there and say i have intimate relationships with other men and your husband is okay with it does that mean you have an open marriage i've had that question asked of me so many times and i always laugh because i'm like what is it about intimacy that we equate with sex you know we've actually had this conversation before Several briefly times. yes well yeah, several times, you know, I, and I've brought up my work wives in the past. Yep. One, I think the key to this is maintaining an open relationship, not open sexually relationship, but an honest dialogue with your spouse as to what that relationship with those other people is. Right, because, okay, so back back up to nature and even talk about food. We don't only eat one food to get one source of nutrients. We have to eat a diverse amount of different foods to get a balanced diet, to get the proper nutrition, to get all the vitamins and and macros and everything else that we need. And it's like we enter into a relationship with someone, a monogamous relationship, and we shut down so much of the intimate and vulnerable, relatable experiences and relationships that we have with other people, not realizing that doing so can actually negatively impact our relationships because it shuts us down. And it creates scenarios in which, like this was a discussion I had with a friend um, over this past weekend in that he doesn't understand how men and women can be friends without it leading to sex. And that's, I think, because we've been programmed to believe that's what our relationships only exist for. And that stems from this whole, we have to be fruitful and multiply, which means that we need to at least be in a monogamous relationship because as property became of value, we need to do it establish who was going to get our legacy when we died. And if we didn't know who the, our children were, we couldn't do that. And so I think we've evolved past that. We, we understand property is nine-tenths law. This is mine. I don't have to declare blah, blah, blah. I don't have to worry about who's going to get what I have to leave thereafter. We have modern technology, for one. We can do a DNA test if we need to. But what I think it also takes away from is, like, we have, we have this dysfunctional idea of what a relationship is supposed to look like. Just because I have a relationship with another man and... Like I've said before, this includes of opposite attractions as well. So, and, and I'm, I don't know, I'm not gay, but I can't imagine what it is like within the gay community to have, I, I would think there's different rules, but are there different rules? Or maybe they've evolved past that whole rule. Like you can only, I, if, if I'm attracted to women, that means I can't be friends with women because then I might be sexually attracted to women. Maybe they're evolved past that, and I'm assuming they would be, because otherwise that could be so much more complex than it needs to be. But for us, for me and you, we can have friends outside of our marriage that we share vulnerable stuff with. Like, like I just had lunch with a friend last week, and he, you know, every time we hang out, like, I, he reveals a little bit more about him. I reveal a little bit more about me. At the end of our lunch, neither one of us are, like, going home and, like, biting our nails down and, like, man, I... I I feel like I'm so worried this is just going to lead to sex because it's not on our minds because we have control over ourselves. But beyond that, me and you don't put up those, you can't do these things. We have a freedom within our relationship. We don't do it anymore. 
Okay, we used to, and that's what led to infidelity, and we've talked about before on previous episodes as well. You can't put those borders up. And so what I would say is, if in your mind you're asking the question or you're seeing a situation in which you want to negatively judge a, a heterosexual female being friends with a heterosexual male, and neither one of them are married to each other but are married to other people, and you're not including them, that doesn't mean that we're thinking about having sex or we're tempted by sex or sex is even on the table. And sometimes we can actually talk about sex conceptually and it doesn't turn us on. It's because we don't feel constricted and we don't feel tied up in this, this is what a friendship must look like. This is what a marriage must look like. And if you operate outside of those boundaries, you're breaking some kind of law. It's just like you're free to have relationships with whomever you want. And so I would say there's got to be some kind of a psychological dysfunction if your go-to concern or anxiety is, if my spouse is friends with someone of the opposite sex, I should be worried that they're going to have sex with that person. Because that just demonstrates that you have that ideal in your head as well, that that's all a male and a, real, and a female can be with one another is sexual. And that's just not the case. I would agree. Yeah. I don't even know if that fully answers the question that I was asked specifically over the weekend, but sometimes I really don't care if we answer all the questions. I think we should still continue thinking about them and and asking questions and asking if there are further paradoxes we need to consider. I don't know. Do you you have any more thoughts on that? Mm -mm. Do you need to tie that back into agriculture at all? No, I think I'm good. You're You're thinking... Yeah, because like, what happens if you only plant... Corn and soy, side by side, over and over, year after year. If you only plant one and then the other the next year, so on Like, just say, I'm just using two for the two binary example. If you only plant corn right here in this plot and soy right here in this plot, and you don't plant anything else, and you don't switch things up, and you don't move things over, they're not going to... Weeds. Right. Weeds will take over. They're not going to flourish. Their yields might go down. They're going to drain the soil of nutrients because they're going to keep using them, the same nutrients over and over. There's never going to be a replenishment. And so to lay that next to a monogamous relationship, if we're bordering ourselves off from the experiences and the stories and, and just relations with other people, we are limiting our potential to grow and expand and experience within our own relationship. Yeah, because... you. The other thing is, is the other person that you are talking to may have some insight on on their experiences within their relationships that you never thought of before. Exactly, because other when we connect to other people and we share stuff, we are by definition expanding our experience. Yes. Yeah, and we need that, and, you know, and that's one of the things. Like, and I had him on as a guest, Cordell, and that's. You know, he said he went back and listened to the podcast, and we both admitted that we were going to kind of just vent about what we noticed were our strengths and weaknesses within our own relationships, and he took that back after he listened to it, and he said, I really appreciated that conversation. I realized how much more I have to grow now, and if we can do that based on what we're sharing with other people... Isn't that beneficial to our relationship? If I can go, oh my gosh, they just went through the same experience as me and they handled it so differently. If I would have handled it that way, I could have decreased that argument and fighting or or time of not talking to my husband by record time. But I didn't have that information before. And if I'm fencing that information off, I'm never going to be able to receive it. 
I think that's why I don't have a, a an intimate relationship with another woman. I don't have a current work wife right now. Is because I'm perfect. Because you're perfect. You don't need to grow. No, I don't need to you grow. You are anymore. already <laughs> living your best second life. You have actualized your truest self. That's what my ego's ego is going gone. <laughs> That's oh, wait. what my ego is going with. <laughs> That's what ego's saying now. There was another thing that I participated in, and you're aware of this. And it, this was a Facebook thing. Do you recall the the post about um, sex work is work and why such and such supports it, and blah blah blah. Yeah, I, I commented a couple times. Right. Okay. And so that's what it was. It was somebody coming to the realization that they now hold in their minds that supporting sex work is the right thing to do. And I agreed with it. I support it. And I do support sex work because I see that it is another gift that is being utilized to help create connection and healing. And I know lots of people are like, what are you saying about prostitutes? But... I think it's true. I think it is, if you're willing to look at everything as a gift, you can see it as a gift. It's one person utilizing their bodies to help create a connection with someone, even if it is temporary. So while I agreed with that, I disagreed with the idea that somebody wanted to diminish the the importance and the value of sex and when I was willing to kind of contradict what I was seeing it I must have used a trigger word or a code word that just signified everything a person could deduce about my character with that one word and the word was sacred I said sex is sacred I don't appreciate the way you're diminishing the importance of knowing that, that sex is sacred, that sex is holy. And what happened was, I think there was just a misunderstanding when I said that someone assumed that I was condescending sex work, which I wasn't. I can hold intention that I support sex work and I also think sex is sacred. For whatever reason though, and I've noticed this with a lot of people, there are certain words that maybe are more common in the religious uh, articulation in the religious language that might send signals to people who are of the more secular persuasion that automatically register to them, you must be a Christian conservative, evangelical fundamentalist, shoving your beliefs down my throat. I can't hear anything else you're saying thereafter. Did you see that? Yes. Yeah. Way to contribute in conversation, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> So, I didn't know you were going to stop talking. <laughs> the point of this podcast is so people can hear us talk, my love. Okay. So, my bad. So, the problem I really believe was, and, and this is where a lot of people kind of drifted out of the conversation, was that my entire argument that I was presenting for why sex should be seen as sacred outside of just the parameters of religion was going to be dismissed because there was already like a label put over their lens and they could only see me as such and such person and therefore believe that by sharing my opinion, I was shoving my opinion, my religious opinion and beliefs down their throats. And it's so hard to have a dialogue with anyone when people do that. It's frustrating. 
it, yeah, it's very frustrating when people just make assumptions about you and then you can't even converse with them. You just feel like you're trying to defend yourself at that point in time and you don't really, you don't get anywhere. You, you can't have the normal back and forth talking, well, here's what I believe, here's what you believe. Is there common ground? I mean, yeah, it's, it's extremely frustrating to do that. Yeah, and even though I do have a background in belief in God, and maybe that was the other word they just didn't like. I brought God into the situation where I was also condoning sex work and supporting it, but also saying sex was sacred. It probably looked like one of the most bipolar comments you could make. Right? Because you can't say that because of what people know about of the Christian persuasion, which is generally where my belief system leans. I also like to incorporate Buddhism, but I am not an absolutionist and I am not tribal about it. And I don't think that like you have to do A, B, and C in order to call yourself a Christian and then properly represent yourself as a Christian. I kind of like Jordan Peterson's like... I live my life as though I believe God exists. Although I do believe God exists. I, I'm not scared to say that. But the problem was, and, and here's where I want to really talk to, is we, I'm going to make a generalization about an entire political side of the spectrum of the liberal Democrat persuasion. And that's that I think that they tend to try and remove the holiness around sex and treat it objectively and robotically i don't understand that either because they're they're generally the people who when you hear of rape stories you know and things like that the me too movement i mean generally that is very left-leaning but at the same time you don't think sex is sacred yeah i I don't understand it. So it's it's very confusing to me why I I think sex can be sacred with or without a belief in God. Yeah. I think that sexuality is is important and an individual's choice and I think the sacredness comes from the individual and who you Wait, you think our sexuality is a choice? Maybe. <laughs> Interesting. Let's table that. Let's table that. I don't know. I think that, I think if you were to say that, that would, I don't know. Maybe I said that wrong. Well, no, but now that, now that I ask it out loud and we wait and we pause and ruminate on that, I don't know. But we have a more, (laughs) we do not have an orthodox, uh, conforming, general, view on sex that we will slowly reveal to you podcast by podcast. You're not going to get all the good stuff now, but I would say that we don't hold to narrower views that society does in regard to sex. So the only reason I stop you on that question is not because I'm thinking you're looking down in a bigoted sort of sense, like you choose your sexuality. Don't you know that people? I'm thinking that you are on a... I have to re-listen to that, what I said, because I'm not sure how I said it, and I could have incorrectly said it. Sexuality is important. Sex is important. And I think... Okay, so here's... And this was the question I posed during this 
this horrible train wreck of a dialogue that I continued to participate in, that I should have backed out of. And that was this. And maybe it's completely illogical, but I said, if sex is not sacred, I would have to say that then the body is not as sacred. And then why do we get upset over rape? And I know that's a long draw and a long stretch, but if we value the body, if we regard the body as a temple, a sacred space that should not be violated, that needs to give consent, then how can you turn around and say sex is not sacred? You coming into my space is a sacred act. You have to have consent for it. It cannot be forced. It cannot be taken, stolen, nothing. It has to be given freely. Even within a marriage. Even within a marriage. You have to give freely. And so if I know that about the body and I understand that about sex and the erotic phenomenon itself, then I can't say sex isn't sacred or holy. And saying that sex is holy and sacred does not mean that it's the Christian, Jesus and a cross, King James Bible version of what sacred and holy is. I mean, the native indigenous people of this country and elsewhere have always held that sex is sacred. I have spoken with Muslims who agree that sex is sacred and that is what is taught. And in the Buddhist belief, sex is sacred and, and the Taoist and Hindi. And so it's like, and, and I know a lot of atheists who still hold sex in reverence and high regard. So liberals, help me out here. Why are we roboticizing sex? Why? And I know why, because if you don't, if you don't take that sacredness away from it, how do you make the argument for why you should support abortion? I mean, that's what I, that's what I struggle with. How do you? Well, of course you can easily say we should support abortion. You're no longer holding anything within the body in, in, in any kind of a sacred or holy space. Because if sex isn't sacred, then whatever sex produces, therefore, can't be as sacred either, right? I mean, that's how they would have to make a valid argument as to why one should support abortion. That, in my mind, that's what I think anyway. I think that's a leap. I like to leap. Well, yeah. You do, but I think that... Well, don't you think, though, if you take away the honor and the reverence of the act of sex, therefore you can take away the honor and reverence of the creation of that sex, should it lead to conception of a child? I still, I think that's a leap. Whatever. <laughs> you, you can make that leap, but I, you're not going to get people of the liberal I don't need anyone to, to agree with me. I don't need anyone to validate what I'm saying. Just let's ask the question. Why do we want to roboticize sex? Why why do we want to take sex so seriously only in one regard but not in the other? We take sex seriously when it's been violated, right? Yes. That we take sex so seriously when it's been violated, when it's been taken, when it's been trafficked out, when it's been sold. We take that stuff seriously. But we don't take the other side of the sex seriously. And that's what I mean with the sacred and the holy. Like, it creates an energy connection to become one. You're creating a oneness. Now, I'm not saying that sex can't happen outside the confines of the goodness that it can produce. Because that's the bad stuff. That's yes. the violation of it. But... If we can see that sex can be violated, what are we violating but something that's sacred? True.
And so that's just what is disturbing to me. I don't want to take the holiness away from sex because for centuries before the patriarchy and before monotheism and before even the big boom of agriculture, there was a society that was established based on understanding how important and valuable sex was. And it was a divine gift given to us by our creator. It wasn't just that you were being fruitful and multiplying through having babies. It was the conjoining of two bodies, experiencing ecstasy and orgasm that was also multiplying and being fruitful with connection and energy and healing. And so, I don't know, I just stop diminishing sex, people. It's good stuff. And so that's kind of where I want to go into. It exists within the erotic realm. And... So I think we should talk a little bit about Eros since I've been writing to it a lot. Do you want to go into fantasy? Maybe. Maybe? Okay, so we won't talk about fantasy, but we'll save that for like episode 22 or something. But what we can talk about, which does tie into why, and I I think this does make sense too, why I'm irritated when people are dismissive of of the, the sacredness of sex. And that's after I engaged in that Facebook stupid dialogue debate which actually ended on a positive note like after we were willing to chill out and 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 stop hurling insults you know i was able to be like look you don't know me don't make assumptions i hate assumptions ask me questions all i do is ask questions and i think that frustrates people more than anything i'm just constantly like okay and now i have another question and now i have another question and i can't make a decision or give you an actual response until now you answer this question and so i'm always asking questions i think that frustrates people so I go back to Esther Perel's Mating in Captivity after I started reading this because I had remembered that she had written something about the way that, like, we kind of tame arrows. We tame the erotic. We we want to kind of shove a lot of what's primal and animalistic about us down underneath and, like, hide it. And one of the things she says is that we are socialized to tame our primal side, our unruly impulses, our sexual urges, and our rapacious appetites. Because social order is built on restraint and a lack thereof threatens to create chaos. So we live in a culture that needs to keep us restrained. Because let's be honest, if we were all still practicing like we did in earlier times, what some people have labeled as these sex cults that were going on, where it was really everyone was just like, dude, let's just have sex all the time. It's the greatest thing in the world. What's wrong with that? Nothing is wrong with that. But could we have a productive society if we were all just Barry White, let's get it on, I ain't going to work today. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nothing would get done. I I think I think that's a little bit of an over. I do too because but... I think on limited sleep time after we've had an incredible session, sometimes we are productive as hell the next day. Right. We are like, okay, I had to give up my my sleep last night, but it was worth it, and that energized me enough. I'm gonna get all this stuff done, and then I'm gonna crash. But I mean. It energizes me in a different sort of way. I'm not super tired, but... For me, it's if I don't get very much sleep, I get up and I start working and I realize if I stop working, I'm going to crash really hard. And so I just have to keep working. But you know why. So, and again, as Perel points out, efficiency does not work with eroticism. And that's why all your sex lives suck. Really, because we want to rush it. And, I mean, our sex life was like that before. It sucked. We were like, okay, it's 10 o'clock, the kids are in bed. 
let's do this. We got an hour. We have an hour. And then we have to go to bed by 11 o'clock. Yes. And that's what we did. And sometimes it would be like, it's 11 o'clock. Hell no. Mm-hmm. Catch me tomorrow. Yep. Right? And so then we learned how to savor our sex. Yes. And that's did. why I always joke, like, put the hours on it like a tractor. because And, and that's what Esther, Esther Perel writes about. Okay, so eroticism is an imaginative act. And you can't measure it. The erotic space is like this radiant interlude. There's no timetable. You are to surrender to not only each other, but to the idea of time. Time is not of the moment because you are so presently engaged in that erotic phenomenon. You're not thinking about anything else. How long do we have sex? Like combined? Yeah, like like, through the course of a week, how many hours do we spend having having sex? sex? On a good week, when we usually do three or four times. Uh, I wouldn't say it's three or four on average. I would say twice I said a on week. a good week, when it's three or four times. Yes. It's either two or three or three or four. Yes. Very rarely is it only once a week. True. Maybe it's like once in that full week, but by day eight, like we go eight, nine. You know what yes. I mean? So we make up for it. Anyway. If we put hours into those sessions. Yeah, I bet, it's a, I bet we average like eight hours a week having sex. At least. We give up sleep. Yes. Yeah. Barricade an entire level to ourselves. We're like, no interruptions. You know, everyone's in bed. Mm -hmm. The teens know. Yes. We're going to be gross tonight is the text message. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then we're just like, let's go. And it's not, hurry up. I'm going to come. It's like, that's, you have to take orgasm out of the equation. Yes. And, And there have been times where we've gone like six hours. And And there's no finish. No finish. And we're just like, okay, time to go to bed. Yeah, that's Tantra. Or something. And we're not even intentional about it. We're not like, I'm going to prolong this. And that's the thing. No one's disappointed either. No. You know, we're like, this has been so good, but we've been doing this for five hours and the sun's coming up. Yes. And so. Which happens. All the time. Here's the thing, too. You know. And, and I think I've remarked on this to you. Growing up, you I used to listen to all this music that always talked about, like, and we were getting it on until the sun came up. And I was like, who does that shit? You know, I'm 19 years old listening to that, and I'm like, I ain't never met a man that can do that yet. 20, 24 years old, I still have never met anyone that can do that. You know, and even at, at 30, we weren't doing that. No. Nope. But it's like, now I'm like, I get what they were talking about in those songs. Right. Yeah, till the break of dawn, Michael Jackson... I know that now. So it was always like a fantasy I had. Stay up until the sun goes comes up. That's a good night. But if there's no happy ending, if there's no orgasm, it's still a happy ending. Yeah. It was like a phenomenal time. And we weren't concerned about the time. Sometimes you just, you're just spent. Mm-hmm. You've just been going. And that's the thing. You, you pull yourself out of there's no end goal. There's no timetable. There's no big O. There's no big finish. That is inconsequential. It is not a part of what's going on. Because when you're fully engaged in the erotic, you, you and me, and Mm -hmm. it's all about what's feeling good right now. And if that's not feeling good anymore, let's turn, stand up, sit down, whatever, and find another way to feel good. And how long can I make it feel good before I come too close? It took me forever to get you to start accepting that. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, you know, you're taught that... 
you're not doing a good job if you don't finish. That's what you're after. You're after the finish, but why? I only need that finish if I need to conceive, honestly. Because, I mean, it's felt good the whole time. And it's felt good for you the whole time. Mm -hmm. There's not a time where we're like, this sucks. I just need to come and be done. And that's what people make sex about. And maybe that's why it can be so easily relegated and diminished to nothing but just this this thing we do on a Friday night after we've had too much to drink and there's nothing else to do. You know what I mean? Yep. Because that's what a lot of people make it about. And and when I was single, that my weekends, I'm at the bar, I'm trying to get laid. That's all it was. And then at the end of the day, you're like, that wasn't even worth it. That was, it was a horrible sex. He had no idea what he was doing with that thing. And then you're like, I don't know what to do. Do I tell him... No, it actually sucks. Can you stop? Or I just feel like I'd, I'd have more fun watching paint dry right now, honestly, you know? And so, yeah. That was my trip down memory lane, honey. How'd you like that? Okay. Yeah. And so that brings back to something, again, that Esther Perel says, and that eroticism is this immeasurable quality of aliveness and imagination. And I think that's where couples get stuck, too. They won't be curious. Okay, I'll be a little revealing here. Sometimes when you want to introduce new things, I'm like, am I going to be your lab rat tonight? Like, I'll just lay there and be like, what do you want to do to me tonight? You know, and explore and play. And, And sometimes, honestly, it's like that game operation. Sometimes he'll blindfold me and I don't know what's coming. And that's what it's like for me. But it's like, it's thrilling because we're discovering something new. I'm learning something new that might turn you on. I might experience something that feels good that now turns me on that has never been a part of my experience before. But it took us a long time to get there, too, because when you'd introduce ideas, I'd be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yes. And so, yeah, that created a lot of shame. And it didn't create a very safe space for us to be able to be curious with each other Mm -hmm. and talk about our desires or our fantasies or just... Things that we've always wanted to try or sensations that we've always wanted to feel or even just positions we've always wanted to try. Do you remember one night, gosh, this must be about like three, four, five years ago now, where we just, I suggested we just masturbate next to each other. Yeah. I think that was kind of the beginning. Yeah. And that was hard to do. And you know what? I love that you actually brought that up because Perel, that's often like one of her go-to, she writes about this in Mating and Captivity when she talks about like, you know, all of her experiences with all of her clients and what their problems are. And she's, she said, that's one of the first ways you can really tear down all those walls is learning how to masturbate in front of your partner because that's really you and you're there stripped bare, naked. And you have to show, and it's not like you have to show, but you're showing another person, I know how to please myself. I know exactly where to touch myself. I know how to give myself pleasure. But it's not only that, it's just, it's it's always been such an uncomfortable idea with people, especially within purity cultures and Christianity. It's like masturbation is one of the deadliest sins. Don't touch yourself. Da, da, da. Don't and Masturbating in front of each other? What the hell is the grossest thing you could ever do? But it's, it's really not. It's like one of the most liberating things you can do. And I really do. Yeah, I agree with you. That was like where I started getting comfortable with doing anything because I got caught masturbating I was young I was like four and my dad walked in on me and my mom came in and she was like okay this is cool but do it in your room under the covers and not at one o'clock in the afternoon how about that you know 
And don't do it in front of your little sister. So that was that. But it was like, okay, shame. Because my dad caught me. And my mom was like, you, you're okay doing this, but no one wants to see you do it. And so for my whole life, I can't let anyone see me do this. And so you feel guilt and shame. Honestly, when you were in Iraq and I masturbated, it took me a long time to get okay with it. I feel so horrible. Like, I shouldn't be like this because he's way over there and this is selfish. And, you know, there were some moments. And I think I started reading something around that time, too, that made me feel more comfortable with it. And then we got a little bit more comfortable with that, too. But you remember what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, yes. The pictures. Yes, pictures. That's when I started with the dirty pictures. Yes. Yes, which is a great thing to incorporate into your relationship, I will say. It's it's actually incredible. Yes, it is. And the other thing I would point out is prior to us masturbating in front of each other, you always wanted the lights out. Yeah. It always had to be dark. Yeah, it was always. And that was when we turned the lights on. Yeah, because we wanted to watch each other. Because we wanted to watch each other. Yeah. And... That was, it was very liberating. It was very... But do you know what's really hard for people to do, too? There's, I've, I've read about this other exercise. David Schnarch writes about it in Passionate Marriage. And I actually know someone who tried this with his, with his wife. And it, it did not, it was a fail for him. But, so, Dr. David Schnarch recommends, too, like, another way to kind of tear down these walls and become, become comfortable with your bodies with each other is just laying down in front of each other naked and staring each, into each other's eyes. That is so hard for couples to do, to just hold a gaze, right? And for a long time, I used to not be able to do that. And Which is funny because I used to always yell at you, like, you never make eye contact with me when you're talking. Look at me. But too long of a gaze. Oh, look at how long we can do this. It's not even <laughs> comfortable. But too long of a gaze, and, and I would feel uncomfortable. and Or always feel like I have to say what? You, even, even like within the last year, you gave me a hard time about me like looking at you when we kissed yeah yeah because you always opened your eyes yeah and it made me so uncomfortable i was like why are you looking at me while you're kissing me yeah you said something really sweet too and then i was like god i feel like a bitch now i don't even remember what you said but i was like oh damn it but yeah it was really uncomfortable now it's it's not anymore yeah Although, I think you probably know that some days when I just don't want to look at you, I say what, but I'm usually, like, crabby or something. Oh, I know when you're crabby. Yeah, I send off vibes. Yes. <laughs> Big time. I bet my aura is just, like, brown. Yep. Malady. I can pretty much walk in the door, not even see you, and want to walk right back out. Yeah, you can just feel my energy. <laughs> but anyway, um, that's a really hard thing for couples to do, to even just stare at each other's eyes. And then to do so naked with the lights on. You know, and so this this person that I know that tried it with his wife, he said it lasted like 10 seconds. And she was like, enough with this. Shut the lights off and just let's just have sex and get this over with. You know, I, I feel bad, but he was more of a romantic person. And it seemed like she was more of this just practical person. Like, let's just do this. We know what the end game is here. But that's hard just to be that naked and exposed and that real. You're just laying there. There's no expectation. And so what the practice also extends for you to do is to like slowly just touch each other anywhere be curious and a lot of couples struggle with that they're like well i don't know where my partner's gonna put his finger and what if he sticks his toe in my ear or some we have this fear because we don't we're not certain of what's going to happen because we bring expectation into the bedroom and so we need to stop doing that i don't remember the last time we had sex without the lights on though yeah yeah sometimes we do spotlights yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
I think that's enough for today. We've really revealed a lot. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll gain some followers because of it. Oh, yes, I hope so. Yeah. Well, you like to talk about sex with me. I do. You like to have sex with me. I do that, too. That's a wrap. To connect with me or to see what else I'm working on, I encourage you to find me on patreon.com slash Danielle Kingstrom. My written work is also featured on Patheos Progressive Christian. And you can connect with me on social media, Facebook at Danielle Kingstrom, Instagram and Twitter at D Kingstrom. And until next time, thank you for listening. Take care.